and welcome to a new show for 2023 here at Freight Waves. This is People Speaking Rail or PSR. Uh, we are those people. I am Mike Bowden, Distal Head of Intermodal Solutions, joined with my colleague Joanna Marsh, who's a senior uh, staff reporter uh, following the, the rail uh, industry. Um, and so today, uh, what we're going to do is go through some of the articles that you've written recently, uh, Joanna. And you know, talk about those. I thought you did a nice job of having some that talk about sort of the outlook for for 2023. So we'll do that. And um, the extent of time, we'll go through some articles that were sort of around the, the web that, you know, you, you, you didn't write, but want to, you know, hit on yours first. And, and maybe I'll just start by asking you um, just sort of a one uh, question recap of 2022. What was the thing that surprised you the most last year? Yeah, well, I think, you know, obviously, the the rail service thing was was unexpected. I mean, I'll, I'll, there 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 is always that tension between the railroads and shippers, but um, you know, having it come to a head, so to speak, I think in the spring, and then of course you still had the continuing rail service issues um, with with uh, some of the railroads um, through the fall, and so it's funny because I. I, I I had seen that question, um, you know, in prepping for this, and and um, I actually wasn't going to say rail service as the, <laughs> the unexpected thing, but here I am, live TV, saying <laughs> rail service is that. Um, I guess the the other thing that kind of um, was interesting about 2023 was um, just kind of I feel like there's a momentum um, within some of the stakeholders within the the rail industry in terms of um, seeing some sort of uh, need to to change the status quo and and of course um how much you need to change might you know depend on on who you're talking to but um you know obviously the you know the the unions are emboldened to um pursue the issues that are important to them um and of course you have on that side you have the union leadership and then you have um those who um are more um i guess i know what's the right word but like more um uh, I don't know, progressive, but just just uh, wanting even more change than than what the members, the leadership is, is you know prescribing. Um, so you have the unions, and then you have the shippers, of course, and and the ongoing issues. But um, but just you know, with the surface transportation board, you know, taking up a lot of you know shipper issues and shipper decisions this year. You know, there, there's that momentum there too. So it feels like there's just a lot of I don't know. I mean, to me, you know, I. The, the years I've covered it, that I feel like there's there's momentum to going forward as opposed to being stagnant. And I don't know exactly where the industry will go, but <laughs> that's, I, I think that's momentum. I think that's probably the big surprise in addition to rail service. Yeah, you would hope the service would get better with all these things that are taking place and and, and um, sort of the push to hire more workers and, and, and all these things, you know, sort of the backing off of the embargoes. Uh, all the things that the service transportation support is focused on, uh, you know, things like requiring more service-related data. And I guess it didn't surprise me that there were service failures last year. I think what surprised me was that there were orders to have mandatory, you know, service from the Surface Transportation Board, you know, like the Foster Farm situation, which has now been sort of two different iterations of, of, of that, um, you know, based on what you've been, uh, you know, reporting on, on, on freightwaves.com. So I think that was a surprise to me. And I think you know, if I was going to answer that question, I would say, well, one thing that surprised me was that um, the railroad uh, sick days got to be one of the biggest political footballs 
in the United States, um, you know, something that impacts 100,000 people and, uh, you know, all of Congress has an opinion about this and sort of extrapolated this out to be something that impacts uh, or, or sort of emblematic of, of impacting all, uh, you know, unionized labor, all sort of blue collar labor against, um, you know, management rather than kind of an industry specific issue and sort of without the context that that was something that the, the unions kind of negotiated away for a higher pay scale, you know, during previous iterations. So I think that was a surprise, um, you know, for me. Um, but uh, for, from here, uh, you know, sort of maybe enough about 2022, maybe we'll talk about 2023. And this article you just wrote, expect to hear more about rail service issues in 2023. I think there's no question that, that that's true. And, um, you know, what this sort of amounts to is have another... There's the article. You can check that out on FreightLoops.com. But I have a, a list that I went through. Um, you read that article, and have this list of major rail regulatory, uh, you know, issues. And there it is. It's just kind of this long, laundry list of things that the uh, Surface Transportation Board, you know, may or may not, uh, you know, deal with. Um, sort of that first thing is CP KCS merger. So we're expecting that in the first uh, quarter of, of the year that, you know, I think most people expect that to be approved. Have you heard of any anything to the contrary? Anyone who, who thinks it's not going to be approved? I haven't. No, I, I feel like everyone's kind of saying that, and, you know, obviously CP, um, you know, wants it to be approved sooner than later. So um, I haven't heard anything really from the, from the uh, STB itself, but um but yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see like when when exactly the, the timing of that will happen. And of course, we and as an aside, um, earnings season is actually coming up fairly soon. And so, even though I don't, I don't think Canadian Pacific has announced when they're you know when they're um, uh, releasing their fourth quarter um, results. But you know, I mean, that's uh, you know that that's a time when <laughs> when the railroads can kind of talk about you know, per possible, um, merger outcomes, um, in terms of like, uh, the, um, you know, keeping, um, access and stuff like that. So interchange, I mean, yeah. And then I guess the other question sort of related to that is what happens in terms of mitigation where, you know, there's the, the Canadian national wanted that one line divested in the, in the Midwest that might've been maybe overly ambitious. Some of the other railroads want to ensure that there's competition on freight that crosses the U.S.-Mexico border. Um, do you have any sense of what the the mitigation measures might be there? Yeah, I, you know, I don't. I I, I want to say that you know that there's there's work to to try to not necessarily divest that line to um, that belongs to to Kansas City Southern and, and give it to CN. Um, maybe not quite divest it, but maybe something along, you know, trackage rights or, or something that, you know, would be more than, um, more than just saying a flat out no, but like, you know, something a little bit, like a little bit of a give and take there. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the, what the outcome um, will be in the end. Um, and as well as an aside, the, um, our, our colleague, um, Noi Mahoney um, wrote, uh, article in late December about, you know, sort of expect more cross-border traffic uh, between the U.S. and Mexico in 2023. Um, and that's actually this week's rail newsletter. But um, but that's another interesting thing to check out for people if if you want to read up more about, you know, what uh, trends we might see in cross-border traffic this year. 
Yeah, and that could be one of the reasons why it ultimately gets approved is the shippers now with that combined railroad system, you know, can more easily uh, market those, uh, you know, bulk commodities further away from the point of origin. So I think it's really going to be interesting to see how that changes, uh, you know, supply chains. I mean, you know, can, can, will Canadian grain be marketed in, in, in Mexico instead of just being, you know, sort of exported out of the port of Vancouver? You know, there could be have implications for the auto industry just with more, you know, auto parts going on one railroad from, let's say, Detroit into the assembly plants in Mexico. So there's a lot there, you know, intermodal, you know, sort of having that connection between Dallas and Chicago under one railroad. There could be more investments there, some more sort of north-south intermodal between the third and fourth largest metro areas in the country. That could take a lot of uh, you know, trucks off the road. So I think it's um, it's interesting. I think the, the railroads have made a good case that um, it, it's in the public interest because of the added you know, competition and in no cases do, are you going from three rails to two rails or from two rails to, to, to one rail. So I'm with sort of the, the consensus that thinking it's going to be approved. I think it's the only class one railroad merger that, that, that could be approved, but that's certainly something that um, we'll watch in, in 2023. Um, so the next two things on your, on your list of um, uh, items that to watch, uh, you know, sort of service issues. And we've already talked about a little bit about that, but also labor issues, which go right into service. And uh, at least the railroads have blamed uh, the labor issues, um, you know, for a lot of the service issues. They say well, the job market's been so tight. That's why the service has has been bad. The Service Transportation Board has, has sort of made the connection to say, well, is it that bad? Because also because you have not invested in terminals and you you sort of cut into the bone with the the, the crewing costs and if just made the job sort of something that the railroad workers don't want to do and even though the pay is higher than you know what a lot of these other these these workers would otherwise you know get and probably you know the type, type of jobs they do get on furloughs um you know it's just it's just a not an attractive job sort of in spite of a relatively attractive pay scale. Um, and I know there's been things other, you know, other things with, with labor, like, you know, the, the, the port workers working without a contract since July 1st. And you mentioned in the article alternative to, to, to furloughs. So maybe two part question, you know, sort of what are those alternative to furloughs, um, you know, might we expect? And do you think all these new trainees and new hires that have been going through the railroad ranks the last several months, do you think we're going to see them stick around when things get tough, like being outside in the middle of January in Chicago or having to go to rural Minnesota when it's sub-zero temperatures. Any thoughts there on, on labor? Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting because I think because Norfolk Southern had an investor day, um, I think in early December, and uh, and they wanted to really emphasize it. Um, that they were looking at alternatives to furloughing. Um, the president CEO, Alan Shaw, you know, he was talking about how um, they want to, you know, during those times when uh, there is a bit of a market downturn, is there a way to um, help, you know, provide more training to employees or, or, or is there a way to sort of keep them on board without having to, to furlough them? Um, the argument being that, you know, if you furlough them, one, of course, they might not come back. But two, um, you know, we have the problem that 
that happened um, this past year in terms of like not being able to have the uh, the headcount needed, um, the crews needed to, to meet um, that that market demand. Um, so I guess they were kind of arguing the long term, um, you know, furloughing might not be the best option. And I think too, even you know, even you know, gig economy is gig economy aside, um, you know, it's just I, I think there's there's more of a um, wish to 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 uh, recruit and attract candidates, um, and and you can't just kind of. I, I feel like there's a momentum that you can't kind of keep the status quo of the way things have gone in terms of. Um, assuming that that employees will, will stick around um, once the furloughing ends. Um, but in terms of uh, new recruits, it's just because I, I had seen um, some articles saying, and so I don't, I, and I, I can't really back this up necessarily, but like I had seen some reports saying that, um, you know, that sometimes, um, you know, the, the, the class one railroads had a lot of engaged in a lot of um, hiring efforts and, uh, but they were actually, you know, um, uh, a number of people who, who left during the, the training process. And so, um, so it'll be interesting to see like, you know, how, how things um, shake out, especially given um, one, the existing more low morale, but, but two, um, the efforts um, to, to change things. Um, you, you kind of hear, you know, now that the, the bargaining, the, the collective bargaining is done for now, you, you kind of hear sort of, you uh, the the potential for for talk at the local level in terms of you know how can um, the unions and the railroads work together to to um, manage operations or, or or create a work environment that might um, encourage people to to stay on. Yeah, I think there's a lot to work through there, and it it does seem like the it, it, there needs to be a change in how the the workers work if they're going to be able to recruit. I think it's just a lot of people during the pandemic sort of just rethought. What they were doing with their lives, and um, you know, it's it's really not a a, a profession for any kind of work life balance, being at home, etc. I'm sort of moving on to this next topic within your um, article that you you mentioned, or, or maybe it wasn't. Maybe I'm just bringing this up. But sort of, the, the, did you listen to the embargo hearings in D.C. Um, the other week with the Union Pacific? Um, sort of, and if so, sort of what stood out to you from those those hearings? Yeah, I think for for me the the biggest thing was just how um, how a number of shippers were talking about um, that Union Pacific wasn't meeting its common carrier obligation because um, because of the um, extent of the embargoes that have occurred, um, and you know with the embargoes uh, occurring because of congestion issues as opposed to um, to, to weather. Um, related disruptions and stuff like that. So I think um, hearing that because, uh, you know, th- that's kind of like, those are fighting words, you know, in a way. Um, I, it kind of, and I can't remember, like, if it was individual surface transportation board members who who asked the shippers if, if Union Pacific was meeting the common carrier obligation or if it was something that they brought up on their own. Um, I one is well, yeah. So, um, but it, it's still it, it's interesting, especially since um, uh, the the you know, especially since uh, you know one of the um, sort of regulatory pursuits by um, shippers is you know is uh, modifying that definition, which um, 
which I understand it to be. And Mike, feel free to <laughs> offer a better, de- you know, better definition, but sort of, you know, the, um, that the railway roads are, are obligated to, to carry freight, um, under reasonable sort of, uh, not circumstances, but like, uh, reasonable terms. Um, and that was because, uh, that that was related to the Staggers Act and deregulation. I don't know if you might have a better way of explaining <laughs> what the common carrier obligation is. It sounds so simple, but then you know everyone yeah, talks yeah, about so, how so they basically get- the the railroads have to take the freight and move the freight, even if it's something that's not profitable for them and they'd rather not take. They can't say no, and that was sort of their their obligation in exchange for owning. The, the trackage, you know, lines, so they, they, the railroads own all that property that the tracks are on, but in exchange for getting that um, property um, given to them by the government, they have this common carrier obligation. And so, like you said, they have to provide a reasonable service. The, the, the question is, what is reasonable, as so often is the question in legal matters, um, and railroads can provide a service at a lower cost by just having really bad service and slotting it into their network when it is convenient for them or doing like what Union Pacific did, which was have over a thousand embargoes in 2022 when embargoes, you know, typically is something that's used in the event of, you know, some unusual act of God, a hurricane, you know, flood, polar vortex, you know, not because they, their their terminal is a little, getting a little bit too congested, and they'd rather not have those cars, or they'd rather ha- use the, the, the other, rather the shipper use the cars that the railroad owns rather than their private cars. And so, um, you know, I thought the the shippers made a good case that Union Pacific really wasn't, you know, it, it, at a very minimum was using the embargoes improperly, if not also. Um, violating common carry obligation. And then it seemed to me like the Surface Transportation Board took that a couple steps further and tied that, you know, use, uh, need to use all those embargoes to not um, having enough investment in terminals, you know, lengthening the passing sidings, having enough people. And the Surface Transportation Board basically said, okay, you know, when there's a actually is an event, um, you know, polar vortex, hurricane, flood, it's really going to disrupt the network because service is that bad when you don't have those type of, of, of issues. And, um, you know, all this stuff, how the, the, the Southwest Airlines um, debacle has dominated the news the last, you know, two weeks, you know, there's, there's parallels there between that uh, the, the Southwest Airlines and the rail terminals where Southwest could have avoided all those issues by um, having state-of-the-art, you know, technology. Now, that would have been, you know, required a big, you know, capital expenditure and, you know, people to have them them running. But, you know, they they, they should have sort of done that. And, and you sort of think about, well, is, is the railroad industry, you know, going to have a big debacle like that if there's a polar vortex in Chicago or, you know, big hurricane or something, you know, some it's at some place that's of, of, you know, great importance because they just don't have any cushion in how much resources they have. Yeah. It's funny. I was, I was actually thinking about that as well during, you know, I was hearing about Southwest, um, uh, over, you know, over the, uh, the Christmas holiday, um, 
uh, in a way, you know, I, I was wondering if, you know, if, if there were, if there were, uh, you know, uh, rail people kind of <laughs> watching what was going on and seeing, okay, is there something that we can learn from this? Um, uh, and, you know, I, I also wondering, you know, if, if anyone in rail was kind of thankful that, um, that it didn't happen to them, <laughs> so to speak, um, you know, to, to see it play it out as publicly as it did with Southwest. Um, so yeah, I was thinking that too. Yeah. Okay. So I want to move on. So what's the latest with, um, with foster farms? You've written about that a couple of times. And so there was, you know, Pacific ordered, uh, trains that need to be expedited for the animal feed back in June or July. Is that right? And, you know, there was some requirement to monitor the service, um, to make sure that they kept up with those improved service levels. And then foster farms came back and said, well, they hadn't kept up with those service levels and um, STB ordered UP to deliver those train sets of animal feed again. So like, like when I first saw this, I was like, well, is this an old article? Isn't we have this like a few months ago, but I guess this was almost a repeat of the emergency service order from a few months ago. Is, is, am I getting that right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I think like they, it's just reason because uh, the service transportation board kept uh, that that docket open um, until I think mid late January just just in case something happens um, and I think actually things were resolved um, at some point like earlier this year but then um, you know Foster Farm says that you know in, in October that uh, service issues uh, started up again and um, Union Pacific has said that uh, it's you know because of the the bad weather that you know not um, that not just UP was facing but also other railroads were facing so. Um, you know, it, it, it's interesting. I, uh, you know, for, for UP to get all the spotlight in terms of, uh, you know, the foster farms and then, of course, the embargoes. And then, um, but then, you know, you also hear about, or not here, but, you know, there, there was a release the other day, which I, I didn't write up, but it was about, you know, how um, the, uh, you know, the, the traffic um, from Schneider has actually, uh, you know, gone to Union Pacific now. It, it was, it, it was a probably, you know, it was already a done deal, but like that, that, you know, uh, that, that traffic now that's, so it'll be interesting to see too, with that, uh, with that new arrangement, um, how, you know, how, uh, service will go for UP and, um, you know, whether they'll be able to, um, address those, uh, also uh, existing issues that they're facing as well. Yeah. A lot of those domestic intermodal companies that, um, were not called, uh, you know, JB hunts that felt like they were getting, um, sort of second class service on the BNSF went over to, to, to UP over the years. I mean, hub group did that. I want to say maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it was a long time ago, but you know, you've had others like, you know, Schneider, Knight Swift do that more, more recently, but, um, you know, hopefully they're not disappointed with the, with the rail, you know, service levels. Like, like you say, I mean, that could be a pretty big, um, big thing. Um, yeah. So what, what else do you have you know, that you're working on for this, this upcoming week? Yeah. Yeah. So um, let's see, it's, it's kind of the, the quiet before the storm in terms of uh, when it hits earnings season in, in mid, um, mid late January, I was going to say mid late July, <laughs> quite. but um, uh, a couple of things I um, had spoken with, with Wabtech um, in uh, like in December um, about, um, hydrogen locomotives, which I know we've written about before, but, um, but the, uh, the, as you know, spoke with the guy there and, and he had some really sort of neat thoughts about, you know, the hydrogen technology. So I hope to get that out, um, soon. And, um, I also just wrote something today just about how, um, 
looking at the rail volumes in 2022 and comparing them with the past years, uh, you know, looking at the uh, the public data that the Association Association of American Railroads puts out. So, um, yeah, so those are two things right now, and then, of course some other stuff as well. So. Yeah, WebTech is always an interesting one to, to follow. I mean, they um, have so much sort of innovation in terms of things like you, know, you said, I mean, there's alternative energy, but then also doing things like repair and refurbishing older locomotives, um, which really saves a lot of capital expenditure. They do a lot with the with the braking, a lot, you know, some on, on the sort of the wayside, you know, too. They're a big part of the positive train control, which is another issue that we'll get into maybe on another show is, is you know, should there be you know, one person cruise in a train because there is positive train control, which is a way to stop a train anytime that um, there's human uh, failure. Uh, you know, that's on, that's on all the tracks that there's either hazardous material or passenger. Um, but that's, I think, a topic for another show. In the last uh, few seconds, if people are not signed up for your newsletter, uh, how do they do that? Yeah, so there is. Yeah, there is a uh, there's a link on the website. Um, thankfully, I think in most of my articles that I write, there's a link at the bottom too of the article that tells that links you to, to the web page. And of course, you can sign up for Rail, and you can sign up for all the other uh, great newsletters that Freightways provides. So, okay, so great. So go do that. And if anyone needs anything from me, um, feel free to reach out. Um, hope everyone has a great day.